In this episode, we ask the question, can the filmmakers who brought us the Hong Kong cocktail really deliver a boring movie? We discuss Gamer. Welcome to the Flop House. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Elliot Kalin. And I'm Matt Koff. Yes, uh, Stuart's away. He just got a promotion at work. So Congratulations, I, Stuart. You did it. You're living the dream. Yeah, Yay. I assume he's doing something relating to that. Going to strip clubs, getting very drunk with other uh, managers, which is, as I understand it, uh, what his job entails. Well, he's the guy who entertains the clients when they're in oh. town. So takes mm. them to strip clubs, whorehouses, snuff films, <laughs> uh, places where you can kill people for money, mm-hmm. uh, underwater casinos, uh, space you can, brothels. <laughs> places where you can use a flamethrower on a bear. That's his dream, yeah. Someday he'll open that place and it'll be shut down instantly. <laughs> Not in Germany. Matt, tell, hey. us a little, tell us a little bit about yourself. So we replaced Stuart with another deep-voiced Lothario. Hello. <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually don't know how... Um, my voice isn't that deep. I mean, I guess... Well, compared to mine, it is. I'm like a slide whistle. Uh, the top end of the slide whistle. I feel like Dan's is, is Mr. Deep. You've got, yeah. like, uh, sort of a sleepy voice, though. Like I do. Stuart did. So that... Okay, I'll be the sleepy guy. Yeah. You won't say much. <sighs> My favorite okay. Jonathan Silverman sitcom. You've already got <laughs> the sleepy guy. Matt already has a more memorable hook than I do. Yeah, we. I was listening to that the other day. How we were trying to think of a hook for you, and one of the ones I suggested was, "I'm so sleepy." <laughs> so it, Matt is running all the way to the bank with it, and I think he's nice. doing great. Awesome. I don't know why you didn't take that one. You still need a hook. I'm sorry, guys. A doctor hook, if you will. Hey. Well, that may be brought up again during our letters section. Oh! Hey, I don't know what you're talking about, but sounds One, good. two, three, foreshadowing. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> Trying out new catchphrases. Because <laughs> no, ROCK in the USA was getting a little old. Okay. Yeah. That's a keeper. <laughs> so, <laughs> the film that we watched tonight was titled Gamer. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You speak the truth. And it starred... Gerard Butler. I don't mm-hmm. speak French. What's weird is that he's an actor, because it seems pretty clear he was born to be a butler. <laughs> or at least to play a butler. I don't know if he's played a butler in a single film yet. Yeah. yeah. He'd be good as a butler. So, for those unfamiliar with Gerard Butler, imagine um, a, a, a less doughy Russell Crowe without the charisma. Wow. Gerard Butler's going to cry when he hears that you said that. Well, yeah. look. It's true, though. I liked uh, I liked him fine in 300. I did not like the movie that much, but I thought, okay, this guy's solidly holding down the center mm-hmm. of this film. But uh, he could not be more absent in this movie. This one, yeah. it feel, I don't think he was involved in it the way he was involved in 300, where I believe he was also writer, director, executive producer <laughs> of the film. Right. Uh, and makeup artist. Sure. But he wasn't. But yeah, in, in three, I liked 300, and in it I felt he provided the right level of, like, brio and gusto, and in this, he just seems very... I mean, sleepy is the right way to put it, from what we were talking about before. Like, he is... He just seems like he's walking through it, sleepwalking through the movie, not really that interested in being there. I'm not... Don't blame him, because it's not a particularly good movie, but... Well, Ellie, do you think that that he was doing that for character reasons? Do you think he was doing that because... (laughs) Wait a minute. He plays... A video game character who is under the control of a third party. It, or second party, when actually. He's, when he's released from the control of the third party, and we'll get to that when we do our plot summary, if anything, he is more sleepier and less, in, less yeah. in, uh, invested in the film. Did That's I say true. more sleepier? Yeah. Well, okay. whatever. Anyway, <laughs> his, his, his performance rivals that of Raymond Burr in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, for <laughs> energy level. And he's, like, punching people and shooting guns and stuff, but it seems like he's just not interested in it. So, this movie. Yeah. Gamer. Basically, The Running Man. But yeah, well, updated for our Second Life World of Warcraft modern lifestyle. A running Man is just about TV, but this is about video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, allow me to explain. If I can get, sure. I didn't get to do the plot summary in the in an earlier episode, so this missed it. Up. Yeah, I know. We're in a dystopian future, as it says in the very beginning in text. It's 
uh, what does it say, the far future from this moment or something, or many years from this exact moment. Yeah, something like that. And uh, it is the dystopian future. Everyone in the world is obsessed with these two video games that are owned entirely by Michael C. Hall, playing the character of Castle. Uh, and not, not Castle, the crime writer yeah, yeah. Uh, from the TV show Castle. And not yeah. Frank Castle, the Punisher from Marvel Comics, title of the same name. Right. Oh, I thought both those things were true, actually. So oh, no. That clears up a lot of things for me. You were very yeah. confused during the course of this movie. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was an actual castle. <laughs> I was like, why does he look like a human? <laughs> why is he talking and moving? Yeah. He should be protecting a princess. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Well, anyway, yeah, uh, so. Cas- Castle owns <laughs> two huge video games, Society and uh, Slayer. And... In them, you. what's so amazing about them is that you're not controlling a video game character. Get this. You're controlling a real live person. What? Who has tiny nano cells in their brain which control their actions. And there's a lot of made-up science to explain why they have nano cells that take over their brains mm. so you can control them. Society is, is kind of a second life type world where everyone stands around in crazy revealing outfits and just kind of dances in a public park <laughs> mm-hmm. and then has sex. Or, yeah. or like they hit each other. And even though they are real-life people in a real-life environment, they still uh, move around like they're in the Ace Sims game. Like a herky-jerky way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, uh, and it's bas- society is basically about seeing women's breasts and... Uh, and, and having dance parties. And having dance parties, it's People yeah. dancing and uh, women exposing their breasts and making out with each other. And also... One guy dressed as like a priest, uh, running around with a bunch of balloons. Yeah, for it, some reason, yeah. I want to know. I want to know who's controlling that character, <laughs> balloon a, priest. And this 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 game did not seem appealing. But one thing that won me over at first, and which didn't last, is that they have you know balloons popped up next to everybody, so you can see what the names of their characters are. And mm-hmm. one of them, a guy in a suit riding a Vespa, I think maybe, and it might have been the same guy who had a pig nose on later for no reason. Uh, his character name is. My balls hurt, <laughs> which strikes me as a name that someone might give to their avatar character in one of those games. Yeah. The other mm-hmm. game, Slayer, is kind of a death race slash you know running man type thing. These are all death row inmates, and they've been they are in a fight to the death on some sort of you know abandoned uh, city landscape, and they're being controlled by players at home. But if the prisoner survives 30 rounds of this game then he is supposedly free and he can go back into society and it doesn't make sense because he's not really doing anything mm-hmm. the gamer is yeah. controlling him the whole thing is kind of screwed up but anyway gerard butler is the is cable the most popular slayer character he survived 27 rounds being controlled by this kid whose name i don't remember and who's turned, not important it turned he was not really that important it and turns I hated out him yeah <laughs> Really? He was very unlikable. He was really annoying. <laughs> and he's got a wife and a daughter on the outside. The daughter has been placed in a foster home, and the wife is a society character who's controlled by a ludicrously fat man. Although, I mean, it's it's a real guy, but he's mm-hmm. she, she's being, for some reason is reserved by a shut-in who is enormously overweight and, yeah. and is meant to be disgusting to the... Like, he is meant to repulse the viewer. Yeah, no, he, he, we first get introduced to him... Uh, he has some waffles that he's eating, and he has a little bowl of maple syrup that he dips the waffles in and sops it up. And the maple syrup is the consistency of motor oil. And he, uh, you know, you, you see close-ups of his double chin as he uh, puts this. In, and he's in also his mouth. a pervert who makes the character do terrible things. Yeah, I mean, like, like that, these people I, in society are basically, you know, forced into. You know, prostitution or, uh, or dance murder party. or dance party or you know balloons. But Gerard, yeah. the clergy and balloons. <laughs> Gerard Butler part. has he has some sort of information. Castle doesn't want him to escape. They're going to try to rig it so that he dies. But he has some kind of information in his head that people need to know or something. And uh, his gamer gives him the ability, unlocks his control, so that Gerard Butler can escape from the game, find his wife and daughter, and reveal this big secret. Uh, and if any of that sounded exciting to you, it is not. <laughs> it is super dull. And the movie ends with, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, 
the ending is, is broadcast all over the world. It seems to be a world of the future where you're either playing society, playing Slayer, or you spend your life milling around in the streets waiting for the giant TV screens <laughs> to show you what's happening right. in society or Slayer. And also, um, for as dystopian as uh, these video games are, everything else in society pretty much just looks like it does today. It's everything the same mm-hmm. except there's more neon and people have more piercings and wear more latex. Yeah, like yeah. it's The whole thing is, and I, this is something I was talking about when we were watching the movie, it's a very like 1990s vision of what the dystopian future would look like, like a very strange mm-hmm. days Johnny Mnemonic type of. Mm-hmm. It actually virtuality. Felt like, virtuality. It felt yeah. a lot like Johnny Mnemonic, like the scene where they go into the club and Udo Kier is there, and it's like eh, in the future everyone's decadent and they have piercings and they lick each other. <laughs> like that's what happens in the future, and everything's lit with neon lights, and you've got an underground of people who are fighting somebody. That sounds great, Elliot. That future that you just described. No, it's terrible. I don't want it to arrive. Like this it's idea boring. that in the future everything is fetish porn of the most latexy sort, <laughs> and that and, and the sound and all and it wasn't helped by the fact that the soundtrack twice they play Marilyn Manson's cover of the Sweet Dreams Are Made of These Eurythmic song. It's like uh, it feels like a movie that was made in 1996 and then they locked it in a time capsule and they released it now. You know. And somehow mm-hmm. Gerard Butler of today was able to star in it. <laughs> yeah. oh, and also, the internet is a big room now. It's <laughs> yeah. not just like on the screen. Oh, no, you're in a room and the yeah. screen is all around you on the walls. And yeah, you lie you on, your, on a beanbag chair or something. And, wow, that and seems a lot less convenient than the current internet. Oh, which is portable? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have to. I gotta go home and go on the internet. Since now you you have to be in a big room and you literally have to turn around to see parts of the screen. <laughs> yes, it oh, is inconvenient. Yeah. But uh, it's um, it's too it's a movie that's the first couple minutes had a little bit of promise in them and then mm-hmm. it quickly ran out of anything to say or do. Mm-hmm. Well, it's directed by uh, written and directed by Neville Dean and by Taylor. Woody Allen. <laughs> yeah, strangely enough. David Mamet. <laughs> this is the script that Woody Allen, David Mamet, and Ingmar Bergman worked on before Bergman died. No, uh, ne- Mark Neveldine and something Taylor. I don't know, but they're the guys who did uh, Crank and uh, Crank Two, and they also did a little scene uh, thriller called Pathology about med students who are killing people and then challenging each other to figure out how they killed them and that's the little morbid game they play which was uh basically dismissed by critics but i kind of liked it and i i really like uh the crank movies i think they're stupid in a really fun way and so i'm like oh maybe this movie will be stupid in a, in a fun way as well and at the beginning you know it seemed like it was just that same sort of amped up trash very hyperactive like, yeah yeah like okay they're not shying away from a bunch of sex and violence which is certainly true Throughout the film, but it's done in such a just dispiriting way after a while that it starts out, it's a wall of noise. It starts out very tongue-in-cheek, and you expect it to settle down into like, okay, then we'll watch the movie. But then mm-hmm. it just keeps up like that, and it stops being tongue-in-cheek. And yeah. It felt like they, they had, there are certain movies that have, a, have the right balance between, you know, the commentary on society, in the future life is cheap, but also, like, this is wrong. But we're still going to provide you with, like, the cheap thrills that you want in this kind of movie. Some movies strike that balance well, yeah. and this one does not. Well, Matt. Yeah. I was not interested in anything that this movie had to say. I know. It could have just been, like, a fun future romp. <laughs> you know what I mean? I haven't seen the Craig movies, but, yeah, it's, like, trash, right? It's, just like, yeah. going to go see some people die. It's going to be great. There are going to be colors. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Well, Matt, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but you can see colors just all around you. I can't see colors. <laughs> well, but we'll talk can, about that later. You can see them when you go to see the movies? Yes. It seems like That's a very why I love odd the movies. Yeah, form we'll, of color we'll, blindness. We'll do that yeah. in the, in, after this. We do a vision psychosomaticism uh, <laughs> podcast, and we'll talk about that there. Well, that's, that's why I'm here. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask you. I mean... You uh, guessed it once before, but you came in and you saw one-third of the movie. Jumper. Yeah, you saw saw the last third of Jumper. Wow. You only see movies that related to cables. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, that too. Jumper and get it, and the main character's named Cable. Uh, Emmy award-winning writer for The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. (laughs) And I just made a joke about Jumper Cables. No, but I was curious, um, you know, not being used to watching... Uh, bad movies at the rapid clip that we do here yeah, in the Clubhouse. I try to watch good movies, mm-hmm. generally. That's an interesting That's a way to approach life. <laughs> Shouldn't live that way. 
But uh, actually, I I had this a similar talk with somebody recently where I feel like they're watching too many bad movies and not enough good ones, uh-huh. and I want to form an intervention for him because he's like, oh, I've been watching so many Lou Gossett Jr. action movies lately. <laughs> like, no, you should watch things that will you will enjoy legitimately. Was this person's name? Did it rhyme with Bluert Blellington? No, no, this was a different person. <laughs> but uh, no, I was going to ask like, how does it feel like uh, coming in on such an assaultive movie? For your first full flop house experience, uh, I feel I feel like a victim. I yeah. feel violated. That's the thing. It's just boring. It's just like you know what I mean. Less is more, dude. Ne- <laughs> Neville Dean. First of all, look. Anytime that there's like a director and you only see one name for a guy, like like Mick G. That's right. Well, it says it says written written by Neville Dean slash Taylor, directed by Neville Dean slash Taylor. Like they don't use their names. I know, and I'm like, is that one person or like why? Just <laughs> I don't know. It's a, is it a law firm? Yeah. <laughs> Which, if it was, I could forgive this movie <laughs> because but, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. no, that's not film is not their specialty. No, but, no, personal injury. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Torts. Um, but yeah, delicious torts. <laughs> <laughs> Living torts. <laughs> If I'm if I'm not interested at the beginning, it's just not going to get any better for me. And I mean, there were things. I'm not going to say this movie was. I liked Michael C. Hall. Like I, you yeah. Know. I, well, Michael C. Hall's performance was the one like bright spot in the movie. I yeah. felt like he really like gave it. He went so over the top. Yeah, and right. For no reason, had a heavy, weird Southern accent, and you know. <laughs> Just is very. He's not apparently. He's unfortunately not in enough of the movie. Like, yeah, he, he's this very like enjoyably flamboyant, like just, just completely evil character with no gloss of even pretending not to be evil. Right, exactly. And he's just no. He's really only in like what three scenes when he cuts down to it. Yeah, yeah. And, like a couple of sprinkled like moments throughout. Right. No, right. he he knows what movie he's in. And yeah. by the way, yeah, Michael he, C. Hall, an alum of uh, my school, my college. Hey, really? Really, I didn't yeah. know that. I think the only famous actor to come out of my college. But so, what other kind of famous you. people have come out of the college? Um, uh, so when you said famous actor, you meant one famous person. <laughs> I think I think I think uh, cult leader Jim Jones had something to do with that my counts. college. Hey, that counts. Yeah, I don't know the specifics, but he about, founded it. About, uh, like Jeffrey, Jones. you can look it up. <laughs> Jeffrey Jones. He went to your college, right? Cult leader Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of the mom and dad save the world cult. Yeah, <laughs> it's dangerous that cult. <laughs> yeah. um, Jesus, I, this is. I mean, you said, Elliot, that this movie is one of these movies where the uh, the rebellion is more powerful than the government. They they, they managed to hack into the system. They managed to set this guy <laughs> loose. There's just four of them too. Yeah, I mean, and by the way, the rebellion, the weirdest conglomeration of people. Ludacris is the leader. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Allison Lohman in uh, with dreads. Dread, dreadlocks. dreadlocks, and she rides a motorcycle. White girl dreadlocks. Looks weird. Um, and it's then, the future. And then Kira Sedgwick, who is introduced to us as a uh, TV anchor. Well, because she's not part of the the underground no, yeah. at first. Yeah, but she sort of comes into it. Yeah, she joins right. it by the end, and you can tell because she wears a hoodie over her regular clothes yeah. instead of the bright yellow Dick Tracy raincoat that she's wearing through the rest of the movie. Yeah, but uh, it's and there's a, and there's a like a young Asian guy whose name I didn't get. Yeah, he got right. shot pretty quick. Yeah, well, but this like these four guys who, who four people, and I think there was one extra that we saw for a moment playing an arcade game in their headquarters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've and, got a bunch of old arcade games yeah. to show that they're old school well, hackers. See, they wish, got Galaga in the background. I and, wish that they had like gone with that more. Like, I wish that it was less that they talk gave the speech about like. If everyone's controlled by these things, then we're all slaves to the system, da 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 But I really wish that it was more like they were angry that the purity of games had been. Yeah. Had been, and I feel like maybe if Stewart had written this movie, that would have been <laughs> the main thrust. Like, these new games aren't real games. What happened to the purity and the beauty of the old arcade games? Let me show you. Games like <laughs> Burger Time and the Popeye games. <laughs> and the E.T. for Atari. They're, they're like, but like, these games are about working within limits to get to a set goal and overcoming those limits. These new games are all, like, I wish that had been their yeah. philosophical bent instead of, in the future, the, you know, everyone loses control of their lives. Great. Like, that's what happens. Well, that seems like a big theme lately. The dystopian future. You know, uh, this was one of three movies that came out last year, just off the top of my head, that I can think of. About avatars, 
Um, well, Avatar. Yeah. Oh, there's, yeah, yeah. There was that, that one. And Ravada. <laughs> and there was this Avatar one. Backwards. And there was and the movie. And Avanti with Jack Lemmon. <laughs> <laughs> and Irma La Deuce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Avatar, this one. And Surrogates. Surrogates. Which we also talked about maybe watching oh. tonight. And I still kind of maybe want to watch the Flophouse. I think we could still surrogate, do Surrogates for Flophouse. Yeah. yeah. But um, obviously this is um, in the uh, zeitgeist. Well, people and, are jumping uh, on the Second Life World of Warcraft bandwagon. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what it's what's done it's the thing though of and the Simpsons World of Warcraft episode bugged me with this where it's like, Oh my god, people are spending so much time in this game, they're creating their whole other world and then they extrapolate that to a video game that is far more lifelike and realistic and all consuming than any of the games that that's actually happening with R. And it's like and I know that they're exaggerating it for dramatic effect but it gets to a point where it's like how would you run a game like this like how how are these people paying for it like if they're spending this much time in it like how do they have jobs to get money to pay for their subscription rates you know Mm -hmm. which is not i mean it reminds me it reminds me when we did uh was it untraceable a long time ago where it was like this guy has a snuff film website and he's getting 40 million hits 40 million viewers watching people dying on his site. And it's like, that's crazy. Who? Well, one, how is the server holding up to all this traffic? But, the other, <laughs> but on top of that, like, really, 40 million people are sitting at their computers right now watching someone being murdered? Like, it's an unrealistic number. It's a dark commentary on human nature. A dark commentary on crappy writing. <laughs> and, well, but also, the, to say nothing of the fact that, as you said, this um, Second Life, uh, the society game, is basically just a bunch of people hanging out in a plaza dancing. So you gotta really love that. They've put so much work into this um, this video game, but apparently the parameters of it are just like a bunch. It's just a boring party. Yeah, like, I can, you know, I can understand the appeal of a game like Slayer. I mean, it's I wouldn't you wouldn't want to really play a game where real people were being murdered. But but video games, most of them are about killing things. So sure. you can at least understand the appeal of an action game. But society, I mean, I guess people spend a lot of time on Second Life just wandering around. Well, and nothing, likewise, but... like The Sims, which is much even, you know, smaller scale. But still, to have a real-life video game and not have these people just sort of wandering around doing anything you can imagine, you know, like, I, I don't know. It just looks like they're in an episode of MTV's The Grind yeah. for the whole yeah. thing. Like, if you bought that video game, you'd be like, <laughs> this video game sucks. Nothing's happening in this video game. Like, I'm, yeah, well, except, I mean, unless you just want to watch your character have sex with other characters, which they yeah. did a lot of. I guess the implication was that maybe there it's just people watching people having sex, but like. But is that like? I don't know that you need a game for that. It's the, also there's pornography. Yeah, there's live all over video the, inside uh, the movie. There's pornography everywhere that's being broadcast all the time. So. So is this like the first video game that has sex? You know what I mean? Well, like I, in this in this. Universe? I guess this is an alternate world where Leisure Suit Larry was never developed. <laughs> All right, I guess that's go. what it is. Custer's revenge never happened. They would have yeah. been that would see they could have made this movie so much better if there was a if it, there was a prologue where the, the man who des, <laughs> who designed Leisure, the Leisure Suit Larry games is murdered before he's able to make the first game, and that is that what diverges this universe from yeah. our own. It's an alternate time. It's like Lost. It's, it's like Lost. Timeline. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Uh oh. Yeah. I didn't watch the season premiere yet or any of the preceding seasons. <laughs> oh man, we totally effed it up for you. Yeah. Do you guys mm-hmm. curse on this? Oh, we fucking curse all the fucking time. Oh my god. All right. This just opened up a whole world of communication for you. <laughs> you have an alternate timeline where you curse. Uh, <laughs> There's the clean version of the flop house in a separate timeline. In the world where cursing has been outlawed by the government. <laughs> in, a, in the world where Stuart uh, fell into a pond as a small child. <laughs> <laughs> this this is a movie. It's a movie also that uh, the villain at the end. His plan is is like super villainish. It turns out. Mm-hmm. That he's going to use these nano cells to basically take over the minds of everybody in the world, um, mm-hmm. and so it, it, the movie jumps from implausibly futuristic to insanely implausibly, <laughs> you know, just silly. But I mean, I kind of liked that that leap happened. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, mean, I maybe ultimately there's like better stakes in in the sense of the idea of like, okay, this person has this nanotechnology that taken to his logical limit could mind control anyone they wanted and that's a little more interesting than just another retread of death race however 
once that leap was made, you you don't believe that um, one really burly dude is going to be able to take him down. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like, okay, well, he has mind control powers over pretty much anyone. I mean, it yeah. did, the, in the end of the movie, the climax basically comes down to, oh my god, his willpower is greater than I assumed. <laughs> but it also, the, the twist, this, this last thing comes so late in the movie, it's like within the last, like, eight or nine minutes, I feel like. So it's almost like the movie's like, this guy's got to get back to his wife and child. Got to get back to his wife and child. And then the last time it's like, uh, you don't really care if he gets his wife and child, do you? Oh, uh, well, he's going to take over the world. Uh-oh. Yeah. Cable's our last hope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also, it was one of these situations where, um, I mean, it's half his willpower and half, like, oh, we got to have some reason that that kid was involved in the movie earlier on. Oh, yeah, that's right. And so... so uh, he does some hackage. He hacks back in with the aid of uh, Kira Sedgwick. And uh, what's her face? Drag me that. Allison Lohman, who appear to be helping him hack from I don't know an ATM somewhere. It's just a, it's just a computer kiosk on a street somewhere. But it's also it's one of those movies also where hacking consists of pressing a button that says upload, mm-hmm. and that somehow infects the system. And and at the end, it's the, the it's it's such an anticlimactic ending that like Michael C. Hall's employees are watching him fighting. Cable and Cable kills him, and then Cable turns to the employees as they're filing out of the basketball court where this took place, and he says to them, "Turn it off. Turn off the the nano cells." And they go, "Okay." And then they shut him off. And yeah. Then they walk. And they go, "Well played." And then they walk out like he's outwitted them by asking them to do it. I didn't see that one coming. Maybe. Yeah, I didn't I, expect you to ask us politely. Actually, yeah, either at that point you have to. It has to go one of either ways. You know, like those people have to be, you know, people that Michael C. Hall has had under his control, and that's the reason why they are willing to, uh, you know, go with uh, Gerard Butler after Michael C. Hall's out of the picture. Like, oh, you've set us free, now we're going to set everyone free. Or they have to be, you know, consumed with the or just desire to rule the Earth themselves and, and have to be an actual yeah. threat rather than being like, oh, okay, or just- sure, you told us to... You, turned, you told us to turn it off, Mr. Butler. We'll do it. <laughs> but it's almost like they don't even seem scared. They just seem like it's like they these are his henchmen of the villain. He sends them out to kill people. They know he's going to take over the world. And then when he's killed, they're like, eh, I guess that happens. Can <laughs> you turn this stuff off? Yeah, I guess so. Anyway. I guess, <laughs> I guess you won the game. Yeah. It's like, I guess I'll go, pack, guess I'll go pack up my stuff now. <laughs> like they seem to have, even like the henchmen of the villain seem to have no stake in what yeah. happens to the villain. What are they going to go do now? Yeah, at the very least, they're unemployed now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I doubt Slayer is uh, going to keep running or society. Yeah. Cable, Cable, can you give us a job? We helped you out with the, <laughs> yeah. turning off the nanomites. It feels a little, and also like the underpinning of civilization now is these two video games, and they're both over. And it's it's like at the end of Escape from L.A., where. Snake Plissken shuts off all electronic equipment in the entire world. Mm-hmm. It's as if that happened, but nobody minded that much. You know, yeah. like, all of society is back to basics. All right, okay, I guess we'll just make do without, you know. Go get a beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry, man. Let's get a, let's get a bite, huh? Yeah. The one thing I actually okay. liked at the ending, and I said it at the time, was it comes down to this thing where they're fighting over a knife, and uh, Michael C. Hall has his, like, nanomites in Gerard Butler's head. Oh, and Michael C. Hall has special ones in his head which allow him to use his mind to control other people's minds. Yeah, so basically anyone who's infected with this technology, he theoretically has control over. And he makes them do uh, a dance number at one point <laughs> to a cover of uh, I've Got, I got you under My, my skin. skin. Yeah. I say uh, cover, but it's not like any... I, I don't know that <laughs> Michael like C. Hall was covering it. <laughs> I guess Frank Sinatra's is the definitive version, I would think, but maybe not. But um, so songs for Swingin' Lovers album. Yeah, Michael C. Hall is arranged by Nelson Riddle. Trying to get Gerard Butler to stab himself, and Gerard Butler is resisting a little, you know, a little bit because he has someone hacking in, and he also has the willpower. But ultimately, what makes him able to stab Michael C. Hall is he says to Michael C. Hall. Don't think about me stabbing you with this knife. Oh, I thought he said, "Think about me stabbing." Or, you. Yeah, yeah, or like, think, think about me with you say. And uh, I thought that was kind of clever as far yeah. as it goes. Like yeah. once he's implanted that ideal idea in Michael C. Hall's head, he can't not think of it, and so it gives him the edge to. It makes right. it ha- makes it happen. Yeah, I, w- I wish it's a it's kind of a clever twist way to destroy that villain. But I wish they had they just did it in such a in such an anticlimactic way. It was like. Mm-hmm. 
Think about me putting the knife in your chest. Make it happen. <laughs> oh, oh, it's in my chest. I'm dead now. Yay. And then everyone watching cheers. Like, yeah, everyone it, on the streets. Everyone yeah. watching on the Jumbotron. Because they hate the guy who runs the game they love. <laughs> it really, it's one of those, it reminded me of V for Vendetta in a way where a lot of V for Vendetta is people in England watching TV and living under an oppressive government, but anytime someone on TV says the government is bad, they're like, yeah, yeah, he's right. All right, why the fuck do you live under this government? Like, what's, it doesn't make sense that you have an oppressive government where that there's five policemen and everyone in the country hates them, and yet they are completely unstoppable. Anyway, that's my problem. With I don't Fever. know. That's one of my several problems with Fever Mendetta. That's another podcast. That's a podcast for a different story. Wait, yeah. I said it backwards. <laughs> Hold on. My, uh, here's nah, my... And now you know the rest of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'd like to pitch my ending to Gamer, which I okay. told to uh, Dan and Matt earlier. Maybe you guys tell me, but I need to get, you know, I'll pitch it again. Maybe you'll buy it this time. Maybe. He's defeated Michael C. Hall. He's hungry. He and his family go out for a nice steak dinner. <laughs> or maybe he gets lamb, you know, yeah, okay. some kind of meat. And the waiter delivers the food. They start eating. Waiter comes back and says, Sir, how is your how is your meal? And Gerard Butler turns to him and says, It's a little... And then he turns to the camera and winks. Gamey. And then the title, Gamey, comes up right afterwards. And then... Directed by whoever did it. And then written by these guys. And the audience is sitting in the theater thinking... Was it the movie named Gamer? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I don't it, care. I wish the movie had had the guts to change its title by the end of the film. And yeah. then you open up open <laughs> up for a sequel where he built where he starts a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. it's like the old Mystery Science Theater uh, three thousand thing with Santa Claus conquers the Martians. Like, wait a minute, they're they're spelling Santa Claus, <laughs> but they're saying Santa Claus. Or or that. The, the brain that wouldn't die at the end when the title comes up, it's the head that wouldn't die. Yeah. <laughs> wow, is that really? Wow. Yeah, they, they, the <laughs> title was wrong within that the is film. A, that is a much worse title than the brain that wouldn't die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's more accurate. Yeah. It's a full head. Sure. And it won't die. Okay. It just refuses sure. to. <laughs> right. Fine. That's a good point. Like, uh, nope, not going to do it. <laughs> not going to die. Nope. But uh, yeah, Gamer, it felt like it was a going through the motions movie. And maybe that was the larger feel of these characters are being controlled by outside forces, but it was a movie where I, I felt like half the time we could guess what the next line of dialogue was going to be in any given scene. Mm-hmm. And, and a guy, you know, there's this other killer who is in the game with Gerard Butler who no one's controlling him. He's just a crazy psycho, I guess. <laughs> and he says, he goes, there's no one controlling me. I got no strings. And then he starts singing the song from Pinocchio about he's got no strings. And it's like, Seriously, you can go there like that. I that was my, that's my idea of a joke that you would then start singing that song. But, yeah, or like you know that there's a fight set to there's a fight scene out of a dance number that's set to "I've Got You Under My Skin" and it's like get it? It's a violent scene, but it's not violent music. Like right. that's yeah. the thing that we do. Yeah, in movies. Yeah, juxtapose. Yeah, I I remember thinking of like when I was twelve. You know, it'd be like, oh, when I write a movie, it's going to have a violent scene with some, like, somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> and it's going to be so clever because it's, it doesn't go together. And then that happened in Face Off. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, maybe I'd just seen Face Off. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it goes back to. Maybe I mean, the writers of Face Off had just seen you. Oh, my <laughs> wow. God. And read your mind. <laughs> Holy crap. But I think, I think that idea really has only worked once, which is, well, maybe twice. It's in. A Clockwork Orange when he's singing, singing in the rain. Mm-hmm. And, that was really, yeah. And maybe in Reservoir Dogs when he cuts his ear off and they're playing yeah. the Stuck yeah. in the Middle with You song. I think that's our signal. Yay. To, to, give, to give final judgments on the Final movie. judgments. Do, 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 do. I had right. to do both parts because Stuart's not here. So, uh. Usually he does the. Do, 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 do. To uh, sum up. I'll get, I'll get the symbols this time. <laughs> to sum up the uh, categories for this podcast star yeah this is a good bad movie a bad bad movie or a movie that you actually liked so uh <laughs> i'm gonna go to elliot first i'm oh, okay for his judgment on this film i am going to say i this was a bad bad movie it had the potential to be a good bad movie or even 
like a movie I actually liked, even if it wasn't like even if it was likable trash, like you were mm-hmm. saying with the crank movies. But in the end, it just didn't have it didn't have it didn't yeah. have the the potential it didn't have the thing you know what uh, what people in the industry call the thing factor. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what do you think? Um, I'm gonna say this is a bad bad movie. And if there's something worse than that, can I have that? Can I say oh, that? Oh, man. Oh, young Padawan learner. Yeah, there's so many worse movies that we have watched. Oh, we've barely scratched the surface here. Yeah. No, I agree. that. No, I'm not saying this was the worst movie ever. You just it, did. <laughs> I heard it. Rewind the podcast. I, no, no, no. But I mean, is there ever like a, can I say this is a bad, bad, bad movie? Or is oh, that you can. Breaking all the rules. Look, I'm going to... I'm gonna go off the edge. On, on the spectrum of the movies we watched, this is actually near near the top. I mean, I'd still rather watch this uh, than 10,000 BC. Oh God, yeah, yeah. I gotta say that this movie uh, it cranked it cranked it cranked my expectations up at the beginning. Oh, I'm glad you said it three times. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have gotten it but once. Yeah. I still don't get it. <laughs> but then, uh, but then those expectations um, didn't stay. Um, <laughs> that doesn't wow, it make doesn't sense work. on the first level. All right. No, but uh, speaking of Statham, like I feel like <laughs> as we were, I was maybe not, if Jason yeah. Statham was the star of this movie, like that would be enough to put it over the top into something that I would have enjoyed. Maybe, although I mean, like I, I don't know if you did you see Death Race the remake of that? I liked Death Race more than you did. I yeah, suppose. I didn't really care for. Oh, but I think if he, I don't think he was so good in that. But I think if you had someone like that in this who. In in a way, like both put took it more seriously and took it less seriously. Yeah. Then it yeah. would it would it would have been much better. Yeah. The the movie around uh, Gerard Butler seems to have a sense of humor, and Gerard Butler doesn't seem to have any sense of humor. Yeah. In the role, and I don't know that that's necessarily his fault. He may have been asked to sort of anchor the movie, but oh uh, yeah, because I mean he's a comic genius in his other films. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's America's favorite clown. Yeah. He's like the Jim Carrey of. Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> As well as the Jim Carrey, I guess the Jim Carrey of the legitimate stage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of Broadway. Yeah, no, I thought it was going to be a movie that I actually enjoyed, and it quickly plummeted it to, disabused you of to that bad yeah. film territory. I, I don't... I think that Gerard <laughs> Butler... Like, as far as I'm concerned, he could, they could have just taken an extra or, like, you know, like a production hand and just, like, put him in the center of the movie... Because that's how bad he was, I think. Wow. Like, he was just nothing. It wasn't even that he was bad. It was just literally nothing. He was like a vortex of, of energy. Yeah, he, he did suck a lot of energy out of the movie. Gerard yeah. Butler is going to come and beat the shit out you of you. Have seen how ripped that guy he, is? That he's also, he also seems really tired. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So maybe I'm... As soon as he starts punching you, he might be really worn out and just fall asleep. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think that's what you're going to take happen. a little snooze. Yeah. Wake up. Say. You're beating me up. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> really? You want to wake him up and bring it, remind him? Yeah. Well, you know. Well, Matt doesn't want to feel neglected. Yeah. Come on. I understand that. Sort of an Came insult. all the way here. Finish yeah. what you start, Gerard Butler. So um, before we go on to our recommendations, uh, I have a firestorm of letters. So ma- firestorm. So many that I'm going to save. Firestorm? No, what is now? <laughs> oh, nice. I'm going to save some letters for uh, the next show. Steward Storm. But um, <laughs> I have a nice message here from uh, Guardo from the Hot Cakes podcast, which you so kindly mentioned in the Hannah Montana episode of the Flophouse. While listening to the listener letter portion of the latest episode, I was feeling sheepish remembering my failure to recall your name during my recording. Don't be. I often forget Dan's name. <laughs> After you were finished reading the lovely young lady's letter, I was shocked and surprised that this semi-private shame was directly referenced. I pledged to you on my copy of The Room that I will never forget the name of Donut Dan the Militiaman McCoy. <laughs> he got, I think that's your new hook. So, <laughs> there you go. I, I, that was very nice of him. Yeah, I foreshadowed that um, we would be discussing the issue of my lack of memorableness, and we have. Uh, no, I, I, no I, but that's what your new hook. You're a donut guy, <laughs> and you hate the federal government one sort of militia. We talked about this in the previous I don't episode. like the second one. I feel like that's <laughs> going to get put on tape, and it's not true, no. and then there's going to be ATF uh, people outside of the apartment. There's going to be FBI 
I'm going to be shot down in some sort of failed raid. And then no one will ever forget you. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to be not forgotten You'll that You'll finally badly. be famous, but was it worth it? Yeah. That's the question I'll ask in my eulogy. In the words of... In the <laughs> you words, got what you want, but was it worth it? In the words of Woody Allen, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it through not dying. That's good. So, yeah, um, that's a good quote. Anyway. Well placed. Yeah. Uh, I got one here. <laughs> it was well placed. Yeah. But that was very nice well of him to, to mention. No, I, I want to assure him that um, I was more touched that he had kind words to say about the podcast than I was angered that he forgot my name. <laughs> well, I just, I'm I, angry on your behalf. Mm, the shards of broken vases in the apartment say otherwise. <laughs> yeah, really. They tell, the, they tell their own tale. Vase Smasher McCoy. Yeah, and he's <laughs> That's cutting, his other book. You're cutting yourself with it right now. That's <laughs> kind of weird. That's to feel. Oh. Yeah. Oops. This one's called Powder Blue. It's from... Selena, last name withheld. Mm. And it says, um, on the latest podcast, you mentioned Powder Blue, but said that as a straight-to-DVD release, it doesn't really fall under your purview. And Elliot mentioned something about its turgidity. <laughs> it sounds I'm, like a word I might use. I'm begging you, please flopatize Powder Blue. I've had the most fortune to sit through this travesty of a film, and I have to tell you it is turgid. But there's so much to work with. Naked Jessica Biel, a character named Quirty, Ray Liotta's ridiculous death, bright blue snow falling on Los Angeles. Plus, it's Patrick Swayze's last movie. Oh. I'm not just That's writing so you this letter so that maybe you'll say my name on the Flophouse, although that would be a sweet bonus. I'm writing you this letter because I think the world needs your thoughtful and hilarious commentary on Powder Blue. Also, I'm not actually some nut in case the tone of this letter suggests I am, just so you know. <laughs> I hadn't, re- you know, I hadn't thought of it, but Nothing you know what says makes I'm you... a nut, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we'll do Powder Blue sometime, I don't know. And I didn't realize Ray Liotta was in it. Yeah. We've had, you've had two requests for it now. I think, I think we should do at it. least put it under consideration. We'll put it on the, well, we won't table this one. Guys, I say we're doing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright? <laughs> wow. I'm, t- I'm You're taking over taking this over. joint. <laughs> Matt is large and in charge. Yep. So um, those words rhyme for a reason. Mm-hmm. I have an email that I will quickly run through because it is the most inside email that you could get possibly. Mm-hmm. Which is <laughs> it's uh, from my own liver. <laughs> Does it get more inside than that? <laughs> it says, "Dear Pancreas, <laughs> I'm totally lost. Stay on your side." <laughs> <laughs> I drew a line down the middle of Dan's insides for a reason. Um, no, this from this is from. I will say his full name, but I will probably mispronounce the last name. It's from John Syracusa, Syracusa, and I'll say that name because he is a uh, he's a tech writer Ooh. of some note on the internet, and he was kind enough to tweet about our podcast. Oh, that's very cool. Yay. But um, he's also uh, familiar with my brother. And he writes to in say... In a biblical sense. <laughs> Wait, what? That's not even the phrase. <laughs> no, no. He writes to ask, Dear Dan, in what way are you not identical to your brother John? I've known John for many years and have just started listening to the Flophouse. From the very first episode, I was struck by how alike you two are in all possible ways. <laughs> every thought, every phrase, every mannerism is identical. Your literary and pop culture references are the same, your voices even sound sound alike, right down to the accent, chemicals, tints, etc. Mm-hmm. I he was has a heavy French accent. I, <laughs> Wait, I'm I was not, not aware that I said chemicals and tints in an odd way, but apparently I do. Were John do to, a little bit, yeah. Were John to secretly replace you on the show, I probably would not notice. It's unnerving. We you, would though. No, we wouldn't. You may take this as a question. <laughs> this question as an opportunity to dis, to distance yourself from John, disparaging him in a forum where he has no ability to reply. Which, to be honest, is probably where I'm going to go after this email is done. He's standing right behind you. Or, <laughs> or you can consider this letter a compliment and answer my question by affirming the similarities between yourself and your brother. I heard that you're looking for a hook for your character on the show. This could be it. You could <laughs> go evil twin, thing. good twin, partially formed twin brother inside the brain, like the dark half, fraternal psychic connection, childhood shared, brutal martial arts training, etc., so uh, that's, uh, that's from John, and um, I like this new hook. I don't know. Yeah, it might be better than your hating of the hatred of the government and wish to overthrow it. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah, ways in which I'm different. My brother, again, this is so inside that I'll just run through it. Uh, I'm taller. 
uh, take thin, that thinner take and, that. and younger. Take that, short, fat, old brother of Dan. So I'm clearly the improved second generation version. Um, McCoy 2.0. Yeah. No, he's uh, my brother John is 10 years older than me and took a very strong interest in uh, my raising, and thus I have a lot of similarities with him, to the degree that he often chats me on things, assuming that I know exactly what he's talking about and have the exact same interests as him, and uh, I don't know what he's saying. Sometimes. Do you and him ever switch places so that your wives don't know that you're <laughs> using each other's wives? Uh, again, I'm taller, thinner, and younger than my brother. Is that uh, but a I yes mean, or a no? Yeah, you also have the opportunity since the two of you are gynecologists together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's been going a little crazy, but... Yeah. I will say that my brother is a uh, math genius, which I am not, although he did not do anything with that math genius. Mm, wasted potential. Yep, that's that's something that I do have in common with my brother. How do you know you're you're not a math genius? Ten plus seven. Fourteen. Did he did it? I times don't know. two. Times two. Times two. Uh, fourteen. Ooh, well there you uh, go. Wait, okay. I thought you said seven times two. <laughs> no. Wow. Anyway, wow. let's keep Can your brother on. come and co-host this with us? <laughs> what does this he do sucks. if he's not a if he's not a mathematician? Uh, he works at uh, uh, Boston College. And he has a freelance design and illustration hmm. thing on the side. He did the 9 a.m. meeting website, which is Ooh. something that... You mean 9ammeeting.com? Yeah. Something okay. that Matt Koff and I... You mean N-I-N-E-A-M meeting.com? No, that's it. I mean oh, no, the no, numeral 9. Okay. <laughs> the letters A-M. This is the kind of thing you need to the make clear. The word meeting. Yeah, really. Dot com. Is this some kind of porn site? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yes, everyone rush there. <laughs> Early morning office-based porn. You mm-hmm. gotta see this porn. It'll, it'll get you up in the porning. <laughs> oh, wow. Come on, <laughs> anyone? Okay, well, so this is... Uh... <laughs> uh, I liked it. Thank well, you. Lastly, this, uh, this, this email is titled Dance Hook, and it's from Marina. And she says, I think Dan's hook should be that he drinks Tuscan whole milk. <laughs> You could reference it now and again, especially as we occasionally hear the glass clinking in the background. Hmm, what good Tuscan whole milk? <laughs> or perhaps you need your own beverage instead of relying on old cultural references, like another drink, perhaps. Ah, how I like to drink a trusty Tom Collins. <laughs> sort of like Bond's trademark, shaken not stirred. The drink that's already taken is the Pina Colada, the Pina Colada song, but maybe something like a Manhattan that identifies you as a New Yorker. I'll give you my final judgment just as soon as I pour myself another Manhattan. You can see how it would go. So that's from Marina. It's an interesting hook. It's pretty yeah. good. I do enjoy a cocktail. So, so um, let's see. What are the choices so far? And I think that the viewers at home should vote on this and you have to follow their dictates. No, I think, I think that we can I think we can milk a few more choices for a hook. Oh, okay. Well, so, okay, well, anyone who has any other ideas for Dan's hook, please write them in. What are the, so, so far, the suggestions have been... Very specific beverage preferences. Yeah, uh-huh. I like that one. Um, Evil Twin. Yeah. I mean, the good ones that we already had of So Sleepy, Loves Donuts, Hates the Government, Wants to Overthrow It, Establish His Own Secession Village, where he practices free love with his multiple Why? child wives. Why? It and, keeps getting longer. <laughs> oh, and also it ends in a, in a bloodbath. Okay. But, uh, and what, did we have, what were the other hooks? Were there any? I don't know. I mean, it's your hook, man. Yeah. No, I think that that's I think that's pretty much it so far. So, so which one jumps out at so you? So keep them coming. I think he might need more more options. Well, right now I like the drinks, but um, mm-hmm. what about guy with glasses? I don't think that would really translate to the <laughs> listeners. I don't know, especially since at the moment all three of us are wearing glasses. Well, yeah. Once Stewart's back, then the glasses quotient will drop to only two thirds of the posts. <laughs> all right, we'll wear contacts, and there we go. All right. So that done, we should rapidly uh, run through our recommendations of movies that we've seen recently and actually did enjoy. Um, I'll go quickly first. Uh, I saw, speaking of Alison Lohman, I saw Night of the Demon, a.k.a. Curse of the Demon, depending on whether you're in America or That's Great Britain. That's not an Alison Lohman movie. No, but uh, Drag Me to Hell <laughs> was loosely based on that film in that there's mm. a curse that is transmitted by the uh, giving of some sort of token item to the person and they have to get rid of the uh, item or pass it on to pass the curse along 
And there's also a seance scene. It's not a very close uh, retelling, but it is a uh, inspiration for Drag Me to Hell. It's uh, directed by Jack Turner, who uh, did, um, you know, I Walk with a Zombie and Cat People. Uh, my main problem with it is I thought that Dana Andrews as the protagonist was pretty dull. It's a movie where the main character has to spend 90% of the time uh, in the film denying that anything supernatural is going on when the audience knows that something supernatural is going on. And so that can quickly become boring and irritating for the audience watching the film. And you need a really charismatic person to carry that off. And Dana Andrews is your typical square-jawed, kind of dull, uh, 50s and 60s protagonist. So that's not very good. They need Gerard Butler. Mm-hmm. That would have done it. I need someone with that sweet Gerard Butler that effect. <laughs> God, uh, I hate Gerard Butler. Wow, we Is really it, was he really good in Three Hundred? He was uh, fine. All right, but that movie was bad, right? Uh, I didn't care for it that much, but yeah. many people did. All right. So, uh, Matt, what do you have to say about All right. a movie that you enjoyed? Well, look, I'll be honest with you. The only movie I've been watching lately is The Room. Have you talked about The Room? I'd be surprised if people hadn't mentioned it on this podcast already. It might have been mentioned in passing. All right, well, that's my recommendation. Room is a horrible movie, but it's it's my favorite horrible movie ever. Uh, you know, that's the thing. It's it, it's different from uh, from Gamer because, well, Gamer sucks the life out of The Room. I mean, the room that you're in while you're watching it. Mm-hmm. The Room is just, you know, it's inadvertently entertaining. And every time I watch it with a group of people, everybody loves it. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to give away anything about the room, but go and see it. And don't go, and there are screenings like in uh, New York and L.A., but I would recommend seeing it with a a tight-knit group of friends first because if you go and see it in, in a theater, you won't be able to hear anything because everyone shouts like a maniac and throws plastic spoons at the, s- the screen. Okay. Well, Elliot has had to uh, leap out the window. Uh, so uh, Elliot also recommends The Room. Yeah, Elliot loves The Room. <laughs> so, um, for the Flophouse, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Matt Koff. And I remain Elliot Kalen. Oh. Good night. Good night. If they aren't Mega Man 2 levels, then I'm not interested. Seriously. Oh. Great game. Yeah. <laughs> Much better than the one we saw in this Capcom movie. Capcom <laughs> Classic. Oh, that was the game they were playing, Mega Man 2. Yeah, it was realize. It was the far future dystopian yeah. version of Mega Man 2. That's why when he killed guys, he got their leaf shields and <laughs> bubble makers and whatnot. That explains a lot. Jeez. That's why uh, Gerard Butler was called Rock Man in Japan. <laughs>